following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. All right, good morning. How's it going? It's fall, kind of. 100 degrees, but, you know, it's technically fall, right? Fall is one of my favorite seasons. It's just like a great time to connect with family and friends and nature, get a pumpkin spice latte, whatever you do. Um, For me, the big thing is cider. Like in the fall, I'm like, I want cider on a stove and with like cinnamon sticks in it. And it just like gets me all excited about the the upcoming season of Christmas and everything. So um, I'm excited. I feel kind of rejuvenated that a few days out of the last few weeks, there's been a little bit like more moderate temperatures. It gets like a little bit cold in LA and all of a sudden everybody's wearing like winter coats and like, you know, I'm like ready to put on my hoodie. It's still like 80 degrees out, but I'm like, man, I just want my hoodie on, you know? Um, but anyways, I'm, I'm excited about this fall and I think God is uh, kind of ramping up some things in my heart and stirring some things in my heart uh, for this fall. And also in Valley Metro, I think there's some really exciting things going on. Uh, in one regard, it's outreach. It's what we just talked about. Um, that of just amazing ways that God's moving all over the all over the world, and even here with the the DCFS and uh, the the foster system and all the stuff that we've been doing there, and it's just inspiring to be around such cool people at Valley Metro. There, there's such amazing people of God here, and every time I hear these stories, I'm just inspired, and I'm I'm challenged to to be fully engaged, aren't, aren't you? Like, I hear that, that testimony, I'm like, man, I want to be fully engaged with what God's doing, and I don't want to be partly engaged. I want to go all in, you know? And um, so I'm excited. I think God's ramping some things up, and there's an invitation for us to engage with Him in more uh, complete ways where we're, we're saying, Lord, I, I'm going to give you all of myself, not just part of myself. This morning, I want to talk about God's transformational kingdom. I believe that God has a kingdom, and there's a king in that kingdom, and that king is coming. Scripturally, we understand that Jesus, he came, right, 2,000 years ago plus, but he's coming again. And so there's this hope for the return of a king to redeem the world to himself. In Romans, we see that there's this groan in all creation. There's a groan in all of creation. You see it, uh, even in the fall is an interesting time, right? Seasons change and, and trees shed their leaves and there's a death that happens. But then in the spring, there's a rebirth, right? And there, this is a kind of a, a symbol of what's going to happen when Christ returns to us. We have a now kingdom and there is a not yet kingdom. And so we're in this in-between stage where Right now, in this age, we have, uh, we have an element we see in part. 1 Corinthians 13 says, we see in part, but then we shall see face to face. So there's a not yet aspect to the kingdom of God that we are going to experience. As Pastor Scott shared last week, we, we know that the kingdom is a kingdom of warfare too. We're in an age of war, spiritually speaking. This is an age of war that we're in. The, the battle is not over yet, but Jesus came early. There was a sneak attack. I like to think of it that way. God, Jesus came, there was a sneak attack that he had at the cross. And God came in when, when all of Israel was expecting a knight in shining armor, Jesus came as a child. He came as a baby and God sent this baby in this kind of humble form to come die on the cross. For our sins. So that now humanity can enter into more active warfare against the enemy who is Satan, and we can fight alongside our king now in hope for the full redemption that is not yet. God has an invitation to us to be active duty. He wants us to be fully engaged, not partly. He's desiring that from us. He's not looking at it. It's not even about obligation, folks. It's not like, 
Uh, God looks at us and he, he doesn't have compassion on our situations. No, he takes the smallest of us. We're small. Our situations are small. Our, our situations, we feel small oftentimes. And God has compassion on us, looks into our life situations, and he says, I want you. Wait, me? I've been reading about David in, in, in the Old Testament. David was selected among all of his strong brothers, and he was a little shepherd boy. And he was selected to become the, the next king of Israel. And then to be, you know, to provide a line or a lineage that brought forward Jesus Christ. So it's, a, it's an amazing calling that David had. And he was anointed at a young age by Samuel to provide basically this, this empty vessel to be used by God. And he became an empty vessel to be used by God. He wasn't perfect, but he was small. But God looked at him and he said, that one, it's his heart. I know it's his heart that I'm after. And I see it and he has a good heart and I want to use him. There's some really good hearts in this room. Some of us feel small. Maybe some of us have been abused or some of us have had really difficult life circumstances or situations in our lives. God doesn't look at us as if, oh, they're unusable, they're too small, I don't like them. He looks at, the way the kingdom works is, is backwards from the way that Hollywood works, so the way that our world works, where we, we promote just the, the beautiful and strong, right? God's not looking for that. He's looking at the heart. He's looking at people who are genuine and who want to seek after him and know the truth. In Matthew chapter 19, this is kind of going to be our core passage. We turn to Matthew chapter 19. Some amazing, amazing stuff in here. Verse 13 says, Then little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for him. Pray for them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. So, the way our, our minds work in our kind of, uh, our business society, this capitalistic society, it, it, it's not even just Western society. This is, this is all the way back. You know, we see this all the way back to Jesus' time. There's this idea that um, th- there are certain people who are more worthy than others. And Jesus, in this situation, when the, the disciples, even his own disciples said, no, no, not the little children. They're a distraction. Maybe they're too loud. Maybe, maybe they're a little bit annoying, you know, they're children. Um, we're not sure what is exactly going inside of their minds, but Jesus said, no, 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 no. I want the little children. Let them come. For theirs is the kingdom. So there's two aspects that I want to talk about of the kingdom. There's entering the kingdom. And then this week as I was, I was praying, I felt the Lord said, I want you to share about the content of the kingdom. There's, there's entering, there's an enter, entrance point, and then there's, there's actually stuff to do in the kingdom. It's not just like a fire escape here where we're like, oh, we're going to get out of hell and we're all good now, right? No, God has amazing things in his kingdom for us now, not just tomorrow, not just not yet, but in the now kingdom, there is a lot to be done. There's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of war to wage. And... There's a lot of joy to be experienced. So how do we enter the kingdom? We come as a child. To enter the kingdom, we we come humbly and we say, Jesus, I don't have it figured out. I don't know what it's all about. And we have this contrition moment where God enters into our life. The conviction of the Holy Spirit comes in. We're convicted of sins. We repent, oh Lord, I'm sorry. We lay down our rights. We lay down our pride. And we come like a little child. What's the difference between a child and an adult? I think one of the primary ones, and that is drawn in this example, is that children implicitly trust. They implicitly trust unless they learn otherwise. So if you love your children, 
they'll trust you mostly. I mean, they, they're little rascals at times. But, but children implicitly trust. They don't know the difference between, you know, what's true or not. They just, what's presented to them seems as if it was truth. When I was a kid, I, I remember thinking my parents, what they said was exactly what God said. You know, I, they're pastors and they read the Bible. And I thought their voice was God's voice. And as I grew older, I realized they were ambassadors for the Lord, but they weren't the Lord, right? And so there's a beauty here when we enter the kingdom where Jesus now is that parental figure. And he comes in and he, he lays his hands on us and he anoints us and he prays for us. And we just come like little children. We say, okay, God, here I am. Here I am. And it, there's a beauty to entering the kingdom. There's, there's a joy that comes with it. It's the joy of our salvation, right? Right now, we're, at, we're in a massive crossroads in our nation. We're in a massive crossroads in, in our society related to the issue of sin. Anybody sinner? I like that. That's good. That's honest, Right? Sometimes, you know, sin is like this buzzword that, you know, it's taboo. We shouldn't say sin, you know. You know, sins used to be taboo in our culture. Now the word sin is taboo. Isn't that weird? There's a lot of things that we justify and have justified for generations now that we've passed down, and we're afraid to call sin, sin. And and the... You know, we have now fluffy, what I would call fluffy definitions of sin. We, it's like, you know, sin is the absence of God, right? If we just leave it at that, that's really kind of a lame way to treat God. Oh God, you abandoned us, you know? Well, I, I can't not sin now because you're gone, right? We, we shift blame onto others or onto God, and we, find, we try to find a scapegoat. Israel did this with Jesus. He was a scapegoat, right? He didn't deserve to go on the cross. But Jesus knew there, there was a deeper plan that God had, so he went with it. And he knew that he had to become a scapegoat because he was pure. He was without sin. But we are with sin, and we needed a propitiation. A propitiation is a, a, a substitution, a substitute. He subbed in, and he said, I'm going to sub in for all of my people. I'm going to sub in for all of these people. I'm going to take their place. Even though I'm without sin, I'm going to take their place. And I'm going to take it. I'm going to take the heat. I'm going to take the judgment so that they don't have to. Sometimes, you know, I think it's, it's better to just admit it, that we're sinners. Instead of being so afraid of the word in our culture, maybe we just call it out and say, yeah, me, me first, you know. Have you ever played like basketball or, you know, a game like that where if, if you committed a foul, you raise your hand? And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of the etiquette that goes with the game is if, if you committed a foul, you raise your hand and it was me. It was me. And then we move on, right? And God has an invitation for us to just call it what it is, to not hide it, to not, you know, shove it away, not to put it onto somebody else, but to just raise our hand and say, hey, guess what? It was me. I did it. I, I committed adultery. I murdered. Maybe not even physically, but I did it in my mind. I did it in the, my heart of hearts. I had murder on my mind. Whatever the sin was, Jesus was looking at the heart of the people. Is there forgiveness? Absolutely. There is forgiveness. Is there a road to healing? Absolutely. There is a road to healing. But we got to call it what it is, people. We got to stop pretending that there isn't a problem. Our culture right now, I had a vision this week. Our culture is going through a crisis. And I was was woken up about five in the morning a few nights ago, or mornings ago. It's all the same to me. It's dark. But... um, uh, I, was, I was woken up and I, I saw a picture in front of me and there were, there were these three kind of groups 
They're like circles, and they, they're almost like these clicks, these three clicks. And I, I was looking at them. I said, Lord, what is it? What, what are you showing me? A um, little sidebar, Daniel had visions. And he would, if you read the scriptures, it says he would see into the visions. He would look into the visions and ask the Lord, what are you showing me? So if you get a vision, by the way, ask the Lord, what are you showing me? And so I saw this, these pictures of these three circles, and I said, Lord, what are they? What, what are you showing me? He said, there's, there's three groups right now. There's God people, and that's a lowercase g, God people. There's love people, and then there's death people. And I was confused. I was like, okay, what does that mean? Aren't you confused? That's, I think it's confusing. Um, so I said, Lord, what, what is that? I mean, don't we want to be God people and love people? So is it like these two versus this one? Or, you know, what's the order here? He said, none of these people are in me. They're not abiding in me. I said, okay, tell me why. God people, there's a religious sect right now, there's religious groups right now that are trying to corner God. And I'm not talking about one specific group, I'm talking about multiple religions. Sometimes even this gets immersed into Christianity. But there's people who are trying to have a corner on the market on God. We got them figured out, people. We got it figured out. And this is exactly how it works. And we're going to judge you if you do not come into our circle the way we want you to. And there's, a, there's an exclusivity to this group. And I was grieved when I saw it. I said, Lord, that makes me so sad. I don't want to... Am I doing that? I don't want to do that. And he said, the church is doing this. I was shocked. I was, but God, this is your bride. He said, even the church is doing this right now. Where they're, they're worshiping an idea of me, but they're not worshiping me. I'm not pointing fingers at who it was. This is just what I, I'm just reporting back. <laughs> the other group was love people. It's all about love, right? All you need is love. Beatles, you know. Um, I can't be that old. Uh, there's love people. And I said, Lord, what, what are these love people? Is this a good thing? It seems good. And he said their message, their message isn't pure. I said, what, what do you mean? What, is their, what does that mean? Their, their message is about worldliness, actually. It's rooted in trusting and what you can see. And he said, I don't want people to trust in what they see with their physical eyes I want them to trust in me. And this group is not doing that. And they're lording the idea of love right now. And you see it in our society. Love wins, you know, all this stuff, right? And um, it's not that there's not a, uh, a hopefulness there. It's not that there's even, there's some well-meaning people in it. But there's a group that is trying to have a corner on the market of love. Sorry, does anybody here have the corner on the market of love? Because if you do, I want to come and buy whatever you got, right? I want to come and buy whatever information you got on love because I need it. I need love, so it's an easy sell. It's easy for me to say, hey, man, I've got this love message, and it's going to change your life. Come on up. Come on up. Bring your dollars. So there's a love market. And then there's a death group, this death group. And I said, Lord, what, what's this death about? I said, there's people who have given in. There's a group of people who have given in to the rule of Satan. There's a people who have given in to Satan's rule, and now they're cooperating. Now they're perpetuating. Now they're cooperating with his will. And a lot of it has to do with morbidity and the the fascination with the macabre or the fascination with the morbid. And it's all rooted in fear. This group operates in fear. 
They use fear to entice people, and they also operate in a deeper fear of death themselves. And it makes sense. People relate to it. Oh, wretched man that I am, Paul says, who will deliver me from this body of death? So it's a little bit appealing because we have this body of death we struggle against. But this group that is fascinated with death has given in to the lie that there's no hope for eternal resurrection. So Lord, what's the answer? The common theme in all three of these groups, the Lord said, is control. We are trying to control God rather than let God be in control. God is in control. He is in control of our lives. He is in control of everything that goes on. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. So there is a, an element to where we have to get back to the basics of trusting in God implicitly like a child and not try to control God or create an image of God or to control death. And if we can't beat, him, if we can't beat death, let's join it, right? Is there hope for all these groups? Absolutely there's hope. These people are all made in the image of God. God loves these people, but God is love. Nobody can take the market on God. Nobody can corner God. Nobody can corner love. Nobody can corner death except for Jesus Christ. Jesus paid the price. Matthew 19, let's continue on. This is where it gets exciting. Yay. Oh, hard messages. Um, it's good though, right? Like, there, there's a goodness in this. The God, God's wanting to break down these, these misconceptions that we have. And we need to just start admitting it and stop pretending like we got it figured out. I'm, I've been alive for just over 30 years. I haven't had that much time to think about it. And yet, you know, sometimes I think I know a lot. Do you ever have that experience? Sometimes you think you know a lot. But, I mean, you know, most of us have not been alive for, for more than 70 years in this room, right? So that's not a lot of time compared to the God of the ages. <laughs> the author, the perfecter, the beginning and the end, the alpha, the omega. We haven't had much time to think about it. Plus, our brains are small. The rich young man in Matthew 19 I love this. This is, this is a really hard one, but it's so good. It says, Now a man came up to Jesus. This is right after the little children. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Jesus responded, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones, the man inquired. Jesus replied, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these things I've kept, the young man said. What do, do, what, what do I still lack? So he's hungry. And in Mark's version of this, Jesus was pleased. He was, oh, I love this. He's wanting more, right? He doesn't want just follow the law. He wants more. So what's the more? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And I believe the eye of the needle is actually a, related to um, like a, a structure in that time uh, around a city, and there was this, this portal into the city. So an eye of the, of the needle is not a sewing needle. It's about this small entrance that a camel could barely fit into. I mean, it'd be like serious work. So it's serious work, 
But it's not as small of a, as a sewing needle, okay? Um, but there is a straight and narrow path. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. This is impossible. You can't control it, but with God, all things are possible. All things are possible because he's in control. I think, you know, oftentimes when we have unbelief, we struggle with unbelief. What's the enemy of unbelief? Well, it's doubt, so we need to fix doubt. How do we fix doubt? Control. The issue of doubt relates not to just having doubt. We shouldn't just feel bad when we experience doubts. What it's about is surrendering our sense of control to God. And control, I think, is the root of this. And it's, it's us trying to, what kind of control? What are we controlling? We're trying to control our destiny. We're trying to control our, our destination. We want to be in the good place. We don't want to be in the bad place. So I want to control my destiny. How can I do it? Jesus, how can I do it? Well, you can't. It's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Worthiness is the enemy. (laughs) Our sense of worthiness, that we are worthy of eternal life, is a problem. This is a problem. Because if we look at our heart of hearts, and God, he does. He knows everything about our hearts. We have sin implicitly buried down in there. There is a curse that came on humanity. When Adam and Eve took part of the knowledge of good and evil, there was this this brokenness that began to enter into the human life strand. And so there's this iniquity that's passed down from generation to generation where we want to take control of things that aren't ours to control. And God, the all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful God, is, is wanting us to, he's gently saying, guys, I want you to let go of that control so that you can trust me. You can trust me. I'm a good daddy. I'm a good father. So how do we deal with doubt and control? I think one of the ways that God is inviting us to deal with control right now is this issue of his goodness. Is God good? When you look at the stars and you look at the ocean and you look at creation, there's this aspect to it that's hard to deny when you're younger especially. As we get older, we kind of rationalize things. But when you're younger, you can look at it and be like, whoa, who made all of this? This is amazing. And even in Romans talks about, you know, even for those who hadn't come up under the law, under Israel's law, even they are held accountable for what they can see, that God has created all of this. But the question is, is God good? How could a good God condemn me? How could a good God abandon me? Or whatever the the feeling is, the emotion we have towards him. And oftentimes, we superimpose our earthly experiences onto God. We take, maybe it's a coach or a parent. Uh, Maybe it's a brother, sister, a friend. We take a negative experience that we have in our lives, and it's, it's all too easy to put that onto God. Because where we had respect with somebody and that respect was broken, it feels as if maybe God would do the same thing. It feels as if if, if my daddy abused me, then maybe, maybe God would do the same. This is a real issue. This is something that is not insurmountable, but this is something that we need to surmount, Right? In our lives, we have brokenness, we have pain, we have these fissures, these cracks, these canyons and caverns in our souls, in our soul realm, our soul life. When we accept Jesus, our spirit is alive. 
but our soul and our body, we're still struggling. We're in a struggle. We're in an age of war. So how do we overcome? Well, we shall overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. My life has been radically changed by Jesus, not because I'm worthy. In my unworthiness, in my weakness, he's strong. The Apostle Paul, he raised his hand, he said, I am the chiefest of sinners. Me, the religious guy. So if, if we're acting like God people, oh, we're God people, we know, we know God. We got him figured out. What needs to happen is for us to be transformed into a place where we say, I'm not a God person, but I'm his. I, I, don't, I, I can't be on top of God, but man, he's got me figured out. <laughs> That's for sure. Psalm 139 says, you know, this is David again. See if there's any unclean way in me. Search me and know me. Search me and know me. This is a difficult attitude to take, isn't it? It's a difficult place to come to with God. But it's an important crossroads. This can happen now. This is not something that happens when we enter the pearly gates. When we get up, you know, we die, we go to the pearly gates and we say, okay, God, all right, fine. See if there's any unclean way in me. It's now. David did it now. There's a present tense vulnerability, transparency that God is looking for. He's not looking just for us to spill our guts all over the place to anybody, but he knows our thoughts. He knows our minds. He knows our hearts. He knows our motives. And he's getting at that. And the enemy is really crafty. He's really crafty at figuring out ways to distract us from the source of the problem. And oftentimes, it comes in the form of shifting blame, where we have this issue with God that, oh, I have lust in me. God, I don't want this here. What do I do with it? The enemy comes in and, oh, that's not your problem. You know, that's society's fault. That's, that's your parents' fault. That's your whoever's fault. That's the guy who introduced you to pornography or whatever it was. And it's easy to transfer the guilt onto somebody else. Are people guilty? Yes. Have people per- perpetrated against us? Absolutely. Were you a victim? Yes. But God is victorious. And he wants us to be victorious too. We were once victims. We are now victors. And so there's this transformation that happens when the Holy Spirit starts to move in our soul. And he says, hey, I got your spirit, man, but it's time for the soul. Let's work on it. Come on. Let's deal with the issues of the heart. The kingdom of God deals with our heart issues. The Holy Spirit deals with our heart issues. He is not wanting to leave any stone unturned. And I'm not talking about pop psychology. I'm not talking about our society's idea of healing. I'm talking about the transformational healing that happens when we encounter Jesus. When I was about 21 years old, I was in a rough place in my journey, my life journey. I'd been at church my whole life. My dad's a pastor. My mom's a minister. We've had this uh, legacy in our family. And it's, it's been an amazing legacy. But I began to stew and struggle over my identity with God. My identity in Christ. I said, God, I want this to be mine. I had experienced God at a young age. I heard the audible voice of God when I was about six years old. I can't deny his existence but I questioned his goodness. And it took me time to realize that God is good. But part of it required me to go through a process of humbling, a process of being humbled by God. It's not a choice for me to, you know, we can't just choose to be humble. I'm just going to be humble today. <laughs> Check it out. I really pride myself in humility. It's a really great gift, you know. Um, 
God, God isn't, you know, he, it's not about that. He's not interested in us declaring things about ourselves. What he's interested in is, what he's interested in is us going low so that we can receive from him. And for me, one of these experiences I had was during the communion service, and I, I was upset at some church leaders, and I was thinking that I deserved more attention, and they weren't giving it to me. And God, you know, why aren't they, you know, they used to give me more time, but now there's these new people, and they're giving them more time. And so there's this kind of inner battle that was going on. I was mad. What I realized was that I wasn't just mad at those people. I was mad at myself. I felt like there was something inside of me that wasn't worthy. I was mad that I wasn't good enough. I was mad that maybe I failed somebody and they didn't want to treat me the way they used to. And Jesus, this is one of my first encounters with Jesus in a vision. I just want to encourage you, pray for for Jesus to show up in your visions. Muslims are experiencing this all over the world right now. Where they're they're seeing a man in all white who's showing up at the door in the middle of the night and revealing himself to them. Okay? It doesn't just take us missionaries. It's Jesus. Okay? It starts with Jesus. It ends with Jesus. It is Jesus. What we do... Yeah. You get the picture. So, I have this vision during a communion service with a group of young adults, and I was upset at the time, and then Jesus, all of a sudden, this open, powerful vision hits my my mind, and I start to see into the spirit. And I saw Jesus on a cross. I said, oh, this isn't good. I'm about to get crucified. Seriously. And I looked at Jesus. He had his face forward, and I was off to the side, and he turned his face right at me. He looked into my eyes. He said, Samuel, come. And those eyes were so piercing, it went straight into my soul. And I, I turned my head and I said, no, 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 no. And then he looked at me again and he said, Samuel, come to me. And I saw myself moving up to the cross with Jesus. And my heart was ripped open and my eyes started watering heavily. <laughs> and I started weeping because all of a sudden I knew what being a disciple of Jesus required. It required all of me, not part of me. I realized that I had to die with Jesus. He died for our sins so that we can be free eternally. But we had to die. We have to die to follow him, to go on the next step of the journey. What I love in Matthew 19, it says in verse 21, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions Give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. Then, come follow me. The, the young man couldn't understand that. What he could only see was giving up all of his stuff. Oh, I got all this stuff. I've worked so hard for it. I, you know, I inherited all these good things, and you know, I'm able to bless people with it. You know, all of that. He was well-meaning. But he could only see that he, of what he had to give up. But what happens, what would have happened if this young man, he got an invitation from Jesus, who had 12 disciples, come follow me. Come follow me. Come join me. Come join in my ranks. Come follow me. What would have happened? What would he have seen and experienced? So entering the kingdom requires us to die. We have to come as a child. But come follow me. What are we going to do now? Right? There is content to the kingdom when we follow Jesus. There is journey. There's adventure. There's joy. <clears throat> everlasting joy. It's like a joy that like, is all-consuming joy. You don't always feel it, but you know it. It's like you're acquainted with joy. There's resistance. There's warfare. 
Ephesians talks about putting on the armor of God. We don't wage war against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers of the air. So there's this invisible war going on around us. We look at the wars in our world. There's a war going on in the eternal realm as well. And Jesus is a mighty warrior. He is the king fighting against the enemy on our behalf. And we can join him in that. You know, I always, one thing that I love, my dad's a preacher, one thing I love, one of his messages, he, he always taught about resistance. And what is, what is resistance good for? What is this age of war, warfare good for? Well, if you, if you look at any kind of like muscle building, you build muscle from resistance, right? So for me, it's usually a couple of little paperweights and I just do this, you know? But that resistance begins to slowly but surely build muscle so that we are strong in the spirit. So there's a spiritual strength that comes when we follow Jesus. It's not a man-made strength. It's not contrived. It's not, it's not disingenuous. It's a genuine strength that comes from following Jesus and saying, it's impossible for me, but it's not impossible for you. And there's a faith that comes out of that, a joy that comes out of that, a hope that comes out of that. It's a fruit of the Spirit, but it is the Spirit. It begins with the Spirit, and it comes from the Spirit. So what we're encouraged to do is to abide in the Spirit. So one of the exciting things that we get to experience, one of the content points that we get to experience when we enter the kingdom is that we get to talk to God and he talks to us. Prayer is talking to God and him talking to us. It is not one way. That's a lie that it's one way. That we just talk to God and he's, you know, he never hears us or something, you know, it's, he talks back. It's usually in subtle forms. It's very subtle, but it's beautiful. So one of the things that we experience is we get to hear God. We get to experience relationship with the God of the ages, God of all eternity. The other thing that we get to do is we get to share that joy. We get to, it's contagious. Joy is contagious. And it's not contrived. It's not hype. It's literally the joy of the Lord is my salvation. And guess what? It can be yours too. It can be yours too. You don't have to be worthy. You could be like the little shepherd. You could be like David. He wasn't worthy of, you know, some kind of extra honor. No. But he, he took the stone and he slayed the giant. So God wants us to slay giants in the land, spiritually. And he has given us that call here and now. Not, not tomorrow. Not when Jesus returns. He wants the bride to be strong and ready for him to return. And that's what's happening now is an invitation for us to grow in that way. It is, we're in a season where it's the best of times and it's the worst of times. There's really bad things going on in the world, really bad things going on in our society, but it's the, it's the best of times because God is on the move. At a vision, no, a dream, sorry, <clears throat> a few weeks ago, I shared this this morning in our, our prayer time. I saw this huge tidal wave coming over L.A. And it was building up. Big, 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 big tidal wave. <clears throat> and I was scared when I saw it. I looked at it and I saw L.A. In the foreground, L.A. was minuscule compared to this wave. And I said, oh, Lord, that looks like judgment. <laughs> I'm scared. And then I saw the shadow a silhouette of this huge whale inside of the wave. And I was like, oh, that's not a good sign either. That means I'm a Jonah right now, right? And I heard the, this whale, it's kind of weird, but the, this whale spoke to me. He said, I'm the Holy Spirit. He showed up in a different form. He said, I'm the Holy Spirit, and I'm calling you in deeper. Calling you in deeper, Come dive in with me. 
Come dive in with me. My initial gut response was, absolutely not. I'm out of here. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> Run for the hills. But he said it again, just like in that other vision. He said, dive in with me. I'm going, I'm taking you deeper. I said, okay. Okay, <laughs> here we go. And that is the invitation to us right now. God is calling us in deeper. When we enter the kingdom, he calls us in deeper. He asks for more. He wants all of us, not little, little bits of us, right? I keep repeating that because it's very important. He wants all of us. What happens when we enter the kingdom is we become his people. We're not God people. We're not love people. We're not death people. We're God's people. We are his. We belong to him. And he is a good father. He is a good father. He has our best in mind. I just want to invite the worship team to come up here. One thing that we have to look forward to is the restoration of all creation. The earth is in infant form right now. We are experiencing life on this earth in an infant form. There is a great transformation that's coming with the coming of Christ, and that is the new heavens and the new earth. It's something we have promised to us through the scripture. So what's really exciting is that we don't have to try to control our destiny. People we try to own or control or where we fall prey or we feel kind of powerless to our destiny. In Christ, when we just say yes to Jesus, I'm a sinner, here I am. I screwed up. He comes in and he says, I have a great destiny for you. I have a great destination for you. And it's really exciting. And it doesn't, doesn't start tomorrow. It doesn't start when you die. It starts right now. When you accept Jesus, it starts then. Eternity in your spirit begins when you're in Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. We are a new creation when we're in Christ. Yeah, our soul and our body, we're still kind of dragging along this flesh. But God has made us alive. And it starts to transform us from the inside out. Romans, I'll end with this passage. Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. God's will is good. And he wants you to know his will. He wants us to know his will. To get there, we have to be transformed. We've got to stop conforming to the pattern of this world. Stop trying to corner the market on God or corner the market on love or you know, cheat death. What we need to do is say, it's impossible, except for the living God. The one living God, it's not impossible. And we are all testimonies of that. We're all testimonies that it's not impossible. So I want to invite us today to surrender again. We got to surrender. We got to go deep. I, I, like, I'm seeing the wave coming. I'm seeing the whale calling and saying, I'm coming after you, Jonah. Come on in. Come in deep. It's good. It's hard, but it's good. It's real, and it's transformational. God wants to change us. If you don't believe change is possible, I'm a testimony that it is. Not because I'm better now, I'm a better, you know, special person. It's because God is in me. According to my plans, he shouldn't be, you know. 
when Jesus looked at me in that vision, I saw him on the cross and he invited me up. I said, no way. But he called again. In his grace and his mercy, he called again. And then I said, yes. I gave in. So for some of us, we need to give in and give up. For other, others of us, we need to go deeper. God's calling us into the ocean, as it were, of his love, and he's calling us in deeper. You see, God is love. We are not, <clears throat> we're not God, we're not love, but God is love. And his love is much better than the message that we're hearing today about love in our society. God's love is so much more penetrating. It's so much more transformational. It's not just, I accept you for who you are. It's, I know who you are. And I love who you are. And I know who you're going to be. And I'm going to get you there. So let's go. Let's go on this journey together. So Holy Spirit, we just thank you. I thank you, God, for your body. I thank you for this bride, Lord, that you're preparing us. That this fall, Lord, is a a new season where we get to encounter your kingdom in transformational ways. In ways that the impossible things begin to happen that we thought were never possible. And you're making it happen because nothing is impossible for you. So God, I pray that you penetrate deep into our hearts. And I just ask, God, if there's any unclean way in me, will you come and clean me out, Lord? Will you come and forgive me for my sins? Lord, will you forgive me for... Uh, my, my doubt, but more than that, Lord, my control. The way that I try to control my destiny, the way I try to control others, Lord, we let go of control and we say, we are not in control. You are in control, God. We ask, God, that you would begin to break down the barriers in Los Angeles, God, in this city, that we begin to be a people who trust in the living God and we don't trust in the words of man. We don't trust in the words of our, our uh, predecessors, Lord, but we trust in the, the true, present words of the living God in Jesus Christ, Lord. So I just want to invite anybody who this resonates with to come up for prayer, for the prayer team to come up. It's a time of consecration. It's a time to let go, to give in, to go deeper, to not be in control, to not be strong, but to let God be strong. And for those of you who have children or need to be dismissed, Go for it. We bless you. May God go with you this week. But I just want to invite people to come forward who want prayer. So I think God has an encounter for you. He wants to talk to you personally and meet you exactly where you're at. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. We pray that this message has blessed you. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.